0: We're glad you're here, and uh, we are in the process of walking through Nehemiah. Like we said, we're in a series called Rebuild, Um, and so we're going to look at the idea of criticism today. I looked up the definition of criticized, so I wanted to share it with you. There's multiple definitions, but this is the one that that I related to. Sean, thank you. All right, there you go. Criticism. See if this is relatable to anybody. It's the expression of disapproval of someone or something based upon perceived or real faults and decisions. Right? Anybody ever been criticized? And how many of you have been more criticized, or how many of you are more like the criticizer? Anybody? Right? Yeah. So we are we are we're walking through this this book, this letter written about this man who we recognized early on in our conversation, a Jewish man who was confronted with the reality that his home country that he'd never been to, the capital city of this home country he's never been to, he's exposed to a 140-year-old problem. And when he's exposed to it, God uses that information to break his heart to begin the process of rebuilding. And so the reality is in the world that we're living in today with COVID, with the racial injustice, the racial tension, the political landscape of nothing but fighting and division. And the reality is who who knows how many, who knows how many people all of these things have affected to where their lives have been completely tore up. And those are just big macro level issues You all have micro level issues. You have issues in your own homes, in your own marriages, in your own personal lives, right? We all deal with those. And the reality is we all at some point in time or another need the reality of how do we learn how to rebuild something? Because if you do anything for very long, you find yourself in a point you got to start back over. Right? And so we talked about this process with Nehemiah as we've walked and we've walked through this. And so today we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter four, talking about the idea of criticism. Because here's how Nehemiah 4 starts out in chapter 4. We're going to read the first four verses. Nehemiah 4, 1 through 4. You got it, David? As David brings that up, you guys can make sure to have your Bibles. Here's what it says in Nehemiah 4. Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones, right? So he moves 500 plus miles to a community, a homeland that he's never been, that he knows is in a rubble, a heap, a mess, Right? To do that, he has to get permission from his boss who just happens to be the king of Persia. Right? He has to do that by being exposed for being sad in the presence of a king where he was legally bound to never be sad in the presence of his king. And he gets here and begins to do what he considers to be a good work and he gets criticized, ridiculed, and mocked. Can anybody relate? Can anybody relate to the idea of doing something good, something right, something that you believe in, that your heart's been moved and broken by, and then you're criticized, right? You are, you are experiencing the expression of disapproval of someone, right? And here's the reality, you know, we're all built a little differently. We're all built a little differently. Personalities and past have created who we are in the present, right? You add our experiences to that, and all of a sudden, everybody's a little different. And I'm, you know, I'm the kind of person that always people say, how are you? I'm always going to say, I'm fine, right? I'm just always going to say that. Most people aren't always going to believe that, right? Because I live in a world, and I have for 30 years, where as a boss... I've often been criticized by the people that work for me, right? And so these people, work co-workers, work for me, I being their boss, and yet I often can be the recipient of some of their harshest expressions, right, of condemnation from someone who I who I have chosen to employ, right? And, you know, some people will say, well, it's a really, that's a really hard job. That's got to stink. Right. Right. Are you, how, how do you handle that? And I will always say, right. It's, it's fine. Right. And, and that's simply because I've done it for 30 years. Plus, listen, I've raised children. Okay. Right. These, you know, this is a part that men can't relate to women carry these monsters, right? In their womb for nine months and then they come out and when they learn to talk, one of the first things they learn to do is talk back to you, the one who gave them life, right? Listen, we we all, we all, I don't care who you are, we all know the power of being on the end of the expression of disapproval. We all know that feeling. Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the recipient of that expression of disapproval. So here's what I want to do. Just from the chapter, I just want to take away, I I just want to give you what I took away as four basic principles that we, that I think we can apply when it comes to handling criticism. Because let's be honest, handling criticism matters, right? Because if you can't learn to handle criticism, right? You're going to have a hard time not resenting people, people that you love. You're going to have a, t- have a hard time letting things go. You're going to have a hard time with interpersonal relationships. And listen, let's get past this notion, right? Let's just be clear here, right? So I've gotten past the introduction. So now I'm just going to preach. Let's be clear here, right? The re- the reality is, is that you and I are going to be criticized, right? That is bound to happen, Right? That, that is, and here's the thing there is no matter if you're justified in criticizing, right? Listen. My wife is here and she hates it when I point her out. But the reality is, is that for 20 years, I, I ran restaurants for 10 years and I really learned to love food and become, uh, to, to, to cook. And, and I ran a restaurant and part of our responsibility of running a restaurant was creating a great experience where people would want to come back and spend their money so that we could make money and I could employ people and I could get a bonus, right? So she would cook after working and raising kids and she would cook and the meal would not be the meal would not have the, 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 the ambience of a great restaurant. And I would be critical of it not having love or not being prepared with love, right? And here's the thing. I thought my, listen, I thought my criticism was justified. It wasn't mean-spirited. I didn't say it in, I wasn't trying to be condemning, but you know what? The expression, the expression of disapproval no matter who it comes from, and no matter how well intended it might be, always does damage, always. And so many of you, many of us, listen, I feel myself in this because I've been that person for so long. Many of us always feel justified in our criticism. Let me explain something to you. There is never justification for criticism, especially as a Christ follower. A Christ follower is, well, you'll say, well, listen, the Bible says you're supposed to speak the truth in love. And you want to focus on the word truth. I'd rather focus on the word love. Because here's what I can tell you, the minute love, the minute love is added as ingredient to your truth, you will speak it in a manner that's not critical, but understandable. And that was something that I was terrible at. Something that that ruined many, many, many a relationship. Because I'll be honest with you, nobody in my mind was more justified in my criticism than me because I almost always thought I was right. Listen, we've got to get past that notion as Christian people, as followers of Christ, that finding justification for our criticism... You just might as well accept the fact that when you do that, you are undermining and destroying any healthy relationship you feel entitled to criticize. And the only salvation in that relationship is you better hope that the person you're criticizing is good enough and big enough to give you enough grace and forgiveness so that you and them could be in a relationship. Because if you can't, that thing's got an expiration date on it. So these are principles for us to learn how to deal with criticism because Listen, you're back there building a wall in a city that's burning in rubble and inside it is a temple where God's presence dwells and this guy moves 500 plus miles to come rebuild it and these Yehus come up to the city and they're like, ah, oh, what are these idiots doing? That wall's ridiculous. That wall's so pitiful that it's, listen, if an animal ran across it, that thing would fall down. What do you people think you're doing? Right? How do you handle that criticism? Here's the first one. And remember, I've said this before, if you've got your YouVersion Bible app, okay? If you've got your YouVersion Bible app on your phone or iPad, all you gotta do is open it up, click on more, find live events, and look for Tomoka Christian Church. Not only are the notes there, but it's a place for you to take notes as well, since we're no longer handing out paper products because of COVID, right? All right, so let's start with this first principle. We've got to start with the real enemy. We've got to start with the real enemy. Listen to what Nehemiah 4, 5, 4 and 5 and verse 9 says. Here's what it says. Hear us. So this was after the criticism, after the mockery, after the expression of disapproval by someone. Here's what it says. Immediately, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Verse nine, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. Listen, here's 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 We're I've already gave a little mini sermon about those of us who criticize, right? Listen, if you're a criticizer and you're using justification for your criticism, and you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you're wrong, you're wrong. Somebody, I wish somebody could have told me that differently when I was doing that, right? And if you want to fix marriages, listen, if you want to fix marriages, if you want to be a better parent, and you're a Jesus follower, stop trying to drag your kid to church and start initiating conversations where you're not constantly, constantly expressing your amount of disapproval. That that's hard to overcome. So here's a principle of handling because you might be married to this person. You might be raised by this person. You might be living with this person. You may be friends with this person. What if that person just continues to criticize? Here's the first principle. You got to keep the real issue, the real issue, right? When these people criticized Nehemiah, here was his first response. He did not return insult for insult. He did not call these people names. The first thing he did was what? Hear us, O God, means he did what first? He Come on, man, he prayed. Why? Why stop and pray when these people in flesh and blood were criticizing him? Because he recognized something that we almost always forget. People are not the real enemy. Listen, here's what Ephesians 6 says. Check this out. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So there's the premise of everything that's going to come. You and I need to be strong in Jesus. Can I get an amen? Right? That's, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, it is not for sissies. You've got to be strong in the Lord, right? And in the might of his power. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Here it goes on. Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. So why? So that you can take your stand against who? Those who criticize you. Those who ridicule you. Those who express disapproval at you. No, you do it so you can stand against the devil's schemes. What else? For our struggle is not against flesh and bone. Flesh and blood. Your struggle is not against me and my struggle is not against you. But our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Husbands fight wives and wives fight husbands and they end up in court for divorce. And boyfriends fight girlfriends and girlfriends fight boyfriends, and they end up broke up, and parents fight daughters and parents fight sons, and they end up not speaking for 10 years. And people who work together, people who work together, right, fight each other, and once we're friends and no longer are friends. And those people call themselves followers of Jesus every single Sunday. It shouldn't be that way. You want to know why? Because you are not my enemy. You may criticize me, and I may criticize you, but the real enemy is not flesh and blood. Can I get an amen? And I know. Listen, <laughs> I've done this a long time, and I can see your faces. Some of you, and you're shaking your head like this guy is crazy, <laughs> right? He 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 don't he don't, he don't know. Right? He don't know what I put up with. He don't know what, what, what you're like. He, he has, listen, that pastor ain't got a clue what my life is like. You know what? You're right. I don't. But I have a, I have a unbelievable understanding of the depth of evil of our enemy and his ability to lie and his ability to deceive and his ability to use those people against you is active all the time. And if you decide your wife is the enemy, your husband is the enemy, your daughter or son is your enemy. Listen, are there people who've done bad things to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if those things that people do are putting you in danger and harm, then you need to get out. And and there are, listen, we live in a country where there are laws that that hopefully will be designed to protect you. And those things need to be taken advantage of. I'm not asking any of you to be punching bags. I'm asking you to learn how how to handle criticism. Criticism requires we see the real enemy behind it. Our, listen, our fight isn't against each other. Our fight is against flesh, is not against flesh and blood. So when an employee criticizes me, they're not my enemy. They're not my enemy. I know who the enemy is and I know what activity to engage in to defeat the enemy. I pray. I pray. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 10 says in verse 3, 4, and 5. Paul writes this, for though we live in this world, right? And everything that comes with it, right? Mean-spirited, obnoxious, hateful, critical people who have no problem with the constant expression of disapproval of you. He says we live in this world. We do not, listen to this, we do not wage war as the world does. He says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. You know what the weapon of the world is? It's our tongue. Right? It's our spite and our criticism and our anger. Those are worldly possessions that we have. He says, no, 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 on the contrary. Quite the opposite. The weapons that we fight with have divine, godly power. And here's what they can do. They can demolish the stronghold of criticism in that person. They can tear it down. He says, not only that to demolish the strongholds, what else does it say? Verse 5, we demolish. We, remember, we. He uses the word we. I love that because it's a partnership. Me and this divine power, presence of the Holy Spirit and every believer, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take, listen to this, we take captive every What? Thought, not every word, every thought to make it obedient to Jesus. Because here's the thing, when somebody is expressing disapproval at you, this thing engages with every word you want to say and everything that you want to do. But we, you and the divine power work together to take every thought captive. Every thought captive and brought into obedience. I wear this verse out in my prayer because God wrote it. He promised it. So I remind him of it. Because I'll be honest with you. I'm not a very nice person at my fleshly core. I know that surprises some of you, right? I can be an incredibly mean-spirited, arrogant person who knows how to win a fight. I know how to do it, right? But I'm a Jesus follower. And the light of the world is living in me. And I'm a city or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a city set on a hill i 'm a light into a dark world and listen if i don 't pray that prayer if i don 't pray that prayer multiple times a day my thoughts are my thoughts are running away from me because I have a hard time remembering who the real enemy is sometimes, and I know you do too and here's here 's what he says this is sort of, this this verse sort of seals the deal for me right when i 'm dealing with this criticism it says for christ 's love compels us. Listen, the motivation that we have to do any of this stuff isn't the fear that God's going to punish us. The motivation for every believer should be the love of Jesus, right? You're here tonight because Jesus loves you. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, you're you you give, you give faithfully to the church. You'll you'll contribute to a $3,000 potential ministry opportunity in Flagler in the prisons because the love of Jesus compels us. What else does it compels to do? He says, because we are convinced that one died for everyone, therefore all have the same death benefit. That's the gospel. Guess what? Jesus already died for you, meaning you already paid your debt. And our job is just to tell people that. Woo, woo, that's good news, right? Let's do that. Let's what he says. And he, listening to And he died for all. That those who live, meaning those who live Here, in the space, those who live watching online, we should live, like those who live should no longer live for who? Themselves, right? Listen, at the core of our response to criticism is, it's generally about me, but we don't live for ourselves. But we live for him who died for them and was raised again. So our life is to be lived for who, church? Come on, everybody say Jesus, right? We live for Jesus, bring it up. So from now on, as followers of Jesus, living for Jesus, we regard or measure no one from a worldly point of view. So if we don't see people according to the world, we see them according to the Spirit. Which means, they're not my enemy. I know who my enemy is. Listen, part of the way you learn how to... How to respond well to criticism is you keep the main thing, the main thing. And the person with the words is not the main thing. The evil behind the words is the real thing. And that evil comes from the enemy. Listen, let's be clear. I'm not telling those of you who are in an abusive, right, an abusive relationship that because we don't see people according to the world, we just stay and take our beating. No, Please do not take that away from here. Some of your stories would cripple this room in emotional damage that they couldn't get past. I know that to be the case. And there is a tremendous amount of empathy and understanding on our part for you. But handling criticism, the expression of disapproval can be different. Right? I'm not talking about physical punishment. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about criticism, something that we're all used to, right? You and I learn to handle criticism by making sure that when criticism comes, we see the enemy for who he is. He's a liar who's there to steal and kill and destroy. And instead of lashing out, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. Okay. I've beat that one to death. Second one, we stay with the real work. We stay with the real work. Listen to what Nehemiah 4 uh, says in verse 6. And then 15 and 18. So we rebuilt the wall. In spite of the criticism, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Verse 16. From that day on, Half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall, and those who carried materials did their work with one hand, that one hand and held the weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Okay? Listen, here's the problem with criticism. Right. So I this was something that that I was taught probably nine years ago, not nah, eight years ago, I don't remember. Went to a conference in California with at, at Saddleback Church where Rick Warren was at. Twenty twenty five executive pastors in churches that were from two thousand to three thousand people. Very specific invitation for a very specific group of people. I jumped at the chance to go walked in, sat down 25 of us. The very first lesson we had that day was on a whiteboard and it had, it had these phrases on it. And I've said it before. Change creates loss. Loss creates pain and pain has to be grieved, right? Change. We all experience it creates loss, right? Loss creates some sort of pain, mental, emotional, physical, whatever. When pain, when you and I experience pain from loss, it's got to be grieved. That makes sense, right? This is why people hate change. We say, "Well, we don't like change." No, no, no. You don't dislike change because if you didn't, if you didn't dis if you didn't like change, all of you would be wearing bell bottoms and silk shirts. And leisure shoots from the 70s. Some of you women would still be wearing poodle skirts, right? We all like change, right? We like change in so many ways. What we hate is grieving. We hate it. None of us are good at grieving. None of us enjoy grieving the expression of pain that comes from loss. <coughs> Their take was, that's why churches of a... Between two and three thousand won't grow anymore because a church between two and three thousand think Tomoka constantly has changed. Staff leave, staff are reassigned, people do this, we add this ministry, take that ministry away. And you know what happens at the expression of pain? Criticism. And people go, Oh, we can't make that change. Billy Bob's upset. Right? Four people called the church today screaming about this. In a church of 3,000 people. And so here's what happens. When praying gets expressed, we decide we can't make any changes. The reality is when you and I receive criticism, we still have to stay focused on the real work. So we rebuilt the wall, he said. We rebuilt it. We didn't let the criticism derail us from the work that has to be done. Listen, there are things about... It's not Tomoka. There's things about gathering a multitude of people together that bring dysfunction to the front. This church, like every church of any size, has its dysfunction. Can I get an amen? Right? So if you're at Tomoka thinking your church is perfect, you're unhealthy. It's not. But if you're at Tomoka thinking this church has no good qualities, then you're probably in the wrong place. Because one of the best things this church does is it never loses focus on the real work. Never, right? And here's the thing. Do you think, listen, Joe's been here 27 years and I love the dude, right? Joe and I have been friends since 1982, right? 38, 38 years we've been friends, right? And we've worked together for 11 of those. I can't believe he hasn't fired me, right? And even though Joe is loved and adored here, Joe receives emails almost every day of criticism, almost every day, as do many of our staff. I mean, Charles and Mel lead a worship team that blows smoke and rocks the place with noise and wants dancers on the stage and, right? They do all kinds of crazy things. Do you think they've never received a hateful email? Yes, they've received several, right? That those things happen. And here's the tendency. When we receive criticism, we're like, oh, we got to stop. Four people are unhappy. We can't do that. Because that criticism clearly indicates that the work we're trying to do should stop. No. You and I have got to be smart enough to understand that change creates loss. Listen, when Nehemiah brought his buddies together to build the wall, that created a change in the dynamic of the landscape. And that landscape created loss for the enemies because they were losing their power. And you know what those, that loss did for those people? It created pain. They didn't want to see the wall go up. They didn't want to see Jerusalem be strong because they hated God. So they expressed it. Your wall stinks. Look at that janky thing. If a fox got on it, it'd fall down. You guys are s- ridiculous and simple. This will never work. And here's what it said: We did. We stayed with the real enemy, and we prayed, and then we stuck with the real work. We didn't give up. Listen, anything worth receiving criticism for that you believe in is worth sticking to. It's worth sticking to. Listen, let me let me just read a story from Matthew 20. It's easy to get sidetracked, right? Those of you sitting in here and have listened to me preach, know how true that is, all right? There's a quick story about getting sidetracked. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. That's the mother of James and John. Came to Jesus with her sons, and here's her request. This is a mama. We We act like millennials, and having moms come to interviews is something new. This is a mama dragging her teenage boys before Jesus Christ, the Son of God. She's the ultimate millennial mother. Right, James and John weren't 30 when she did this. These were teenage Jewish boys that mama was dragging before the rabbi. You're talking about crazy. And she kneeled down and she asked a favor of Jesus. Jesus says, what is it you want? He asked. Here's her request. Grant, right? This is my desire. Grant that one of these two sons of mine can sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. Make them vice president and speaker of the house. Now there's 12 of these boys that have been following Jesus and this mom drags her two boys in front of the other 10 and says, my boys are better than your boys. So make him president or vice president and speaker of the house. Jesus said, you don't even know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you suffer what I'm going to suffer to to be able to sit at the right hand of God? Can you drink that? Listen, listen to what these—you gotta love teenagers, right? We can. We can do anything, right? I just love it. You can just see these boys with their mom. Mom's up there going, "Look at him. Make him, make him vice president, speaker of the house." And she's like, you, you, "Do you have any idea what you're asking?" He looks at those boys and goes, "Can you suffer the way I'm going to suffer? Can you drink what I'm going to drink? Meaning, can you die on the cross and keep your mouth shut the way I'm about to do it?" And they're like. Yes, we can, right? He said, you will indeed, right? Here's, here's a prophetic. You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. I don't even want to get into what the 10 said, but listen, here's my point. It is so easy to get distracted. It is so easy to get distracted from the real work that has to be done. Every one of us knows the power of procrastination. And procrastination only happens because we get distracted. Listen, criticism is one of the greatest resources that the enemy uses to distract churches and individuals from the real work. He always does. And here's why. Because change creates loss, loss creates pain, and pain has to be grieved. And the minute pain is grieved, it's almost always first negative. It's expressed with anger. It's expressed with disapproval, right? And the minute that happens, we want to pull back because, gosh, we don't want to deal with criticism, so let's just stop. No. If you're going to start with the real enemy, you better stick with the real work. Because there are things that are more important than the criticism that you and I have to experience. When Jesus, let's, let's, let's be honest, when Jesus died on the cross, one, one disciple was left. Out of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who followed Jesus, when the man died after doing nothing wrong, one, one, John, was there at the cross. Can you imagine how discouraged that you you would be if you gave your life to a work and at the end of it, after 10,000s thousands and thousands of people followed you everywhere, screaming your name and wearing your shirts and buying your bumper stickers and drinking coffee out of the mugs with your name on it, when it came time for you to do the real work, everybody abandoned you. But it didn't keep Jesus from doing the real work. It can't Listen, it can't keep us from it either. And, and, and here's the third thing. Stick with the real issues. Now this is, this is, this is cord interpreting this story. Listen to this. He says, meanwhile, so we got the enemies mocking. We got Nehemiah and his boys doing the work, right? He says, meanwhile, the people in Judah. So homeboys are right there. These are locals. This is where Nehemiah is living and breathing and building the wall. Judah. Where Jerusalem's at. It says, meanwhile, the people in Judah, the people that should be on their side said, listen, the strength of the laborers is given out. These guys aren't going to make it, right? And there is so much rubble, we can't rebuild the wall. This is way too hard to do, right? Is that also our enemies were saying this. Bef- this is the enemy's talking. Listen, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and we'll put an end to this work. And then the Jews, right, the Jews who lived near them, not in Judah, but the Jews who lived near them, they came and they told us ten times over. Not once, twice, three times, or four, but ten times they said this, wherever you turn, they're going to attack us. Right? So they hear from the people of Judah, you guys are never going to make it, this work is too hard. You hear it from the enemies, we're going to be right up on top of you before you know it, and when you turn, we're going to kill you. And then from the Jews, the other Jews who were, who would come to worship at the temple that was in Jerusalem, they were saying, they were going to be able to do it. These, these people are going to take you down. Now, if you're the worker receiving that criticism, you can be discouraged. Can you not? Right? Listen, you and I've got to learn how to see the real issue. And this is part of you and I helping other people with the process. Because here's what it said. Listen to Nehemiah's response to those three things. This work is too hard. You guys are going to give out before it's over. The enemies are going to be on top of you and you're never going to know it. And they're going to stab you and kill you, right? You're not even going to see it coming. And here's what Nehemiah's response is. Therefore, listen, listen to this. He did this for his co-workers who were experiencing criticism. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. I posted them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said now to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, so all the people doing the work, I said this, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Who's great and awesome and fight for your families. Fight for your sons and for your daughters. Fight for your wives and for your homes. So when I say, first of all, you gotta, you gotta start, you gotta start with the enemy. Listen, you gotta understand that criticism is born out of an enemy whose desire it is to distract us from the real work. And you gotta stick to it. Right? Anything worth doing well enough to be criticized for is is, is we're sticking to, right? Can't, don't, listen, don't let the expression of somebody's grief over a change keep you from moving forward. And then you've got to stick with the issue. Listen, it's, it's one thing for you and I to take criticism. It's another to watch someone you love be the recipient of it, Right? If, if you have to choose between watching your child be criticized, or you taking the criticism? Who are you taking every time? One parent said themselves, the rest of you are going to let your kid take it. Listen, are you, if you're a parent and your kid is being criticized, would you rather them criticize you or your child? Me. Me. There we go. Think. I want to make sure everybody, I, I haven't even gone over time yet. Yeah, I have three minutes. Okay. <laughs> right. That's why you've checked out. Right. Sometimes, sometimes the only way to help an individual deal with criticism is they need somebody to come along beside them and help them through it. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote this in my, in my note. Empathy, empathy is developed by listening. Nehemiah listened. He listened. He listened to what the fellow Jews said. You you guys are never going to make it. You're going to run out of gas because this is way too hard. You have any idea what you're up against? He listened to the enemies go. Before you know it, we're going to be up in your business and we're going to take you down. And he listened to the fellow Jews say, you're done. This is ridiculous. And you know what he did? He developed empathy for the people who were receiving the criticism because he listened You see, so many, listen, so many times we, so many times all of us at some level want to go defend somebody who's being criticized. Not all the time. Sometimes we want to pile in on the criticism. I get that. But in a situation where there are people being criticized, there needs to be somebody there who listens well enough to develop empathy for the criticized. And Nehemiah listened to develop empathy. And here's here's the other thing I wrote. Actions then are based on the empathy that we develop. Listen, part of the reason why our world has not changed and will not change is because we don't listen well enough to develop empathy. And without empathy, we can't develop a real plan to make anything better. Right? I was raised by parents. I was raised by a father, mainly. But I was raised by a dad that did not believe in listening to develop empathy. He believed that you, that you learned obedience through hearing him speak. And that was done without questioning. Now, he's not wrong. I don't believe he's wrong about that. But if your desire is to lead people through criticism and hard times... You better be willing to listen, listen to develop that empathy. Because if you want to be of help to your children, to each other, to your spouses, to your boyfriends or girlfriends, you, you have to develop an action plan based on the empathy of the person being criticized. To me, I think that is so important. I mean, we live in a world today that is completely divided. And tonight... Tonight, we're going to have a vice presidential debate between two people representing two parties that despise each other. And we've got, we have American people, black people and white people and Hispanic people choosing to side with the parties represented by these two individuals tonight. And if this debate is anything like the presidential debate where two grown men, 77 and 74 never listen to each other. We'll never have any change. And, and here's the thing. You're a Christian. Not a Republican or a Democrat. You're a Christ follower. And a Christ follower, a Christ follower has at his heart and her heart the love of Jesus that compels us. Right? Listen, Nehemiah could have engaged all of those things in multiple different ways. Man, he could have laid out the Jews. Can, why are you why are you discouraging these people by telling them they can't do it? He didn't do that. And he didn't run over the wall, mouth ablazon, gun in hand, right? He didn't do that to go attack the enemies. You know what he did? He listened. He listened to all the noise and all the criticism that created empathy in him him for those who were being criticized and doing the work. And then he made a plan. He stationed people in the gaps. He stationed them near families. And he made sure that these people who were being criticized got what they needed, not what the criticizer needed. He focused on the one who was wounded and hurt and receiving the expression of disapproval. He didn't go after the guy, Malvin. He didn't go after that group of people. He went after the person who was weakened by the criticism. Listen, I think it's, and and, and listen, if if you're new to this space or new online and you're not a Christ follower, listen, I get it. I get it. Some of the stuff that I said tonight, some of the stuff you'll hear, you'll be like, what in the world are they talking about? Listen, the admonition of the Lord from this book is to those who follow Jesus. And the lessons that we can learn from men like Nehemiah are pretty powerful. Nehemiah faced criticism. You know what he did? He started with the real enemy. He ignored Sanballat, right? He ignored Tobiah. He ignored the men who wore flesh and blood and he prayed to God against the real enemy. You and I need to do that when we face criticism. He made sure to stick with the work. Criticism is not a reason to quit. I don't care. It's not a reason to quit. And again, I'm not talking about you being in an abusive relationship. That's not criticism. That's sin. That's illegal. You deal with that accordingly. I'm talking about criticism, the mockery and the expression of disapproval. You gotta stick to the work, man. We as a church gotta stick to the work. You as an individual gotta stick to the work. Criticism, we can't give criticism the power to derail us. And then then you and I, we need to make sure that we focus on the real issue. And there is no way to get to the issue until we learn to listen and develop the empathy needed to develop the right plan. What Nehemiah did was genius. And how did he come up with that strategy? He listened. And he met the needs of the person being criticized. He didn't waste his time attacking the criticizer. That doesn't help a soul. So, to me, that's a part of rebuilding. Is because when you begin a good work, I don't care where it's at, in your home, if it's in your personal life, if it's in your church, you're going to get criticized. How we handle it makes a difference. Amen, church? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for um, generosity and the kindness of of these folks, those who are watching online. Um, You know, my prayer is always that you'll keep your promise, that your Holy Spirit will do the work of convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And that your Holy Spirit will bring all wisdom and all truth to us. And I pray, Father, that you'll keep your promise to make sure that your word does not return to you in vain, but it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it out tonight. And I trust that you sent these verses and these words out tonight. So I pray for every person in here that ultimately their response to your work in their life would be surrender. Because as we were reminded by Paul tonight, the love of Jesus compels us in a way to make sure that we live our life for him and not for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless the church.